The hiring doors are open. You have professional development resources. Job one, right now, you got to have it. It's to find folks and they have got to fit your culture. Or you want to retain the folks who fit the culture of your campus. Well, maybe not. At least Brittany King would disagree with you. This episode's guest thinks that your best bet is to identify faculty and staff who will cultivate your institution's work culture. She'll tell us how on this edition of I Want to Work There. No matter the institution, company, or organization, everyone wants to find the best talent and everyone wants to keep their best talent. Higher education is no different. I'm Eddie Francis. I've worked in both talent acquisition and higher ed marketing. On this podcast, we're going to explore the ways to create a great experience for faculty and staff on your campus. Because in education, a great employee experience equals a great student experience. And who doesn't want that? We'll have some honest conversation, get insights from experts, and hear success stories from campuses. It's all about developing an attractive employer brand, something that'll make the people say, I want to work there. Joining me on I Want to Work There is Brittany King. She's the CEO of Curated Corporate, and she's a recruiter who's worked with companies such as Kraft Heinz Company, Metacorn Ferry, Mattel Bear, and Texas Children's Hospital. And Brittany and I, we go back a few years. We actually did some work. Actually, it was Corn Ferry when it we was. met, actually. Yeah. And Brittany is someone who whose work I've always liked. I've always loved her temperament about recruiting. And Brittany, welcome to I Want to Work There. Thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. It is exciting to be here chatting with you. So let's talk about what it is that you do. What do you do with Curated Corp? Sure. So primarily, we are a workplace culture boutique consultancy. And so what that means is we advise executives, DEI teams, and recruiting teams on how to reduce compliance risk and elevate hiring strategies with DEI-driven cultural training. So we try to get everybody out of trouble and also help them to attract, hire, and retain top talent in the most inclusive way possible. Mm, okay. That's a bit. So DEI recruiting is something that it's interesting. T- uh, tell me how you feel about this. But DEI recruiting, one point, I was like, well, this might kind of go away at some point. But it seems like it's fired up a little bit more over the past few years. Am I am I right on that? So post George Floyd, we definitely saw an uptick in everything DEI, which included DEI recruiting. And I would just say, Eddie, honestly, it's cyclical, just like anything else. So I think right now we've seen primarily folks in talent acquisition, DEI, and HR be laid off, right? When we did a lot of the post-COVID right-sizing in workplaces. But unfortunately, and I say this all the time, we will see another Black person murdered in the streets, a Black child, a Black man, a Black woman. And so we live in a world where I believe, in the United States at least, that the currency of America is injustice. And so we will see that happen again. There'll be global outrage and there'll be an upturn. I think the organizations, though, who really perform well, who see some impact to their bottom line in the positive way, will recognize the importance of DEI in hiring, and they will be the ones who consistently not only commit to inclusive excellence, but they put the funds needed to make sure that they are operating in the way that they should be. 
Mm. And they also make sure that the people who they put in those vice president, senior vice president of DEI, DEIB positions, make sure they have a little power and influence to go along with it. That usually helps. Oh my God, that's a whole other podcast, Eddie. <laughs> it is a whole other podcast. So, so you did a post on LinkedIn one day and when I saw it, my eyes popped open and I'm like, I'm calling Brittany. She's going to be on the podcast because we got to talk about this. And here's the post that I just absolutely love this. So the post says, everything you've heard about hiring for workplace culture is wrong. Most organizations focus on hiring for one of three things, culture fit, and culture at and culture carrier and I'm adding the sound effects. Orgs who do this are missing the key component related to the type of employees that contribute to a successful workplace culture. They are missing culture cultivators. These are people who will tend to the culture to prepare it for the future, cultivate the culture to optimize it for growth, develop process improvements or purposeful pruning to remove things inhibiting organizational success. I cannot even begin to tell you how much I loved reading that because one of the things that I say unapologetically whenever I think about higher ed is higher ed has a hiring problem. And so with that, I have got to know what inspired that post. I would say it's the culmination of a career in DEI. So Eddie, you know this as a Black man. A lot of times we were the folks tapped on the shoulder, asked to help with like, how do we find more XYZ folks without the appropriate remuneration? And so it is really a culmination of my experiences and really seeing like there was this big push as it relates to work- workplace culture for the longest oh, you need to have culture ads, people who can add to your culture, right? It needs to be someone who can carry the culture. And I was like, what we really need to create organizations that do workplace culture well, and in turn, have high rates of employee satisfaction, lower rates of turnover, you're seeing retention across historically marginalized communities, are people who are going to be really catalysts for change and cultivate the culture. So they're not focused on, oh, I'm going to come and I'm going to add who I am. And they're not solely focused on, I'm going to focus on who you are. But it is a blend of both. Who are the people that are going to say, I'm coming to this company for a reason. There's something about this company that compels me to be here. But there are also some changes that can be made. Who are those people? Those are the culture cultivators of organizations who will help not only make their journey successful, but that of the organization as a whole. So it was really just me reflecting on the summation of my career and what I've seen, specifically having been in the last three roles focused specifically on DEI. It is a matter of criticality, I believe, at this at this point. And the thing that makes it so interesting to hear you talk about this, I actually alluded to this on one of the episodes of the podcast. There was an episode of the podcast in which we talked about micromanagement. <laughs> and so that was a fun conversation for me. But we talked about micromanagement. That was episode eight with a, a leader, a leader, a leadership expert by the name of Shauna Fabiano. And One of the things that this makes me think about, Brittany, that there are, I don't know if you've ever heard of this before, but there's this model of leadership studies called followership. And there are basically five types of people who can be followers in your organizations. They can be alienated, which means (laughs) that they 
a high in critical thinking, but low in involvement. And then you have the effective follower, high in critical thinking and high in involvement. But then you have someone who's passive who might not be so high in critical thinking, but they definitely like to be involved. A very unkind, you know, very unkind term for this next kind of follower, the conformist, who's again a, a little active, a little, you know, a little low on critical thinking, but they can be, they can be high. And an, an, an unkind term for that type would be the yes person and then the pragmatist who just kind of takes all of the elements of everyone. And I should say the passive one is the one who is not high in critical thinking, but they aren't very involved either. I should say that about passive. And so it makes me think that, you know, what you're saying is that when an organization is making their hires, and I would even think that when they're looking at their retention strategies, they really have to they have to actively take a look at the types of people that they have in the follower positions the ones who don't have the power to make policy and make decisions and that sort of thing when you so let me ask you this when you see people who have said oh they've got to fit the culture I'm, i want culture fit what mistake do you see people making specifically when you hear them say they got to fit our culture? What, what what mistake do you see there? When I hear culture fit, I hear bias. I hear things like the halo effect. I hear homogenous workforces. I also hear constraints in organizational efficacy. Because if you're like, they have to fit our culture, to me, that speaks to a rigidity to learn and grow. The best organizations have a philosophy of not only continuous learning, but continuous improvement. And so when you think about this from the lens of academia, which is something that I know you understand, learning and knowledge, like one of the things that I hate that people say is when you know better, you do better. No, knowing better is not enough. Without the application of knowledge, without the application of knowledge, you will remain stagnant. I posted on LinkedIn this morning, picture company culture as the air we breathe at work. We may not always notice it, but its quality profoundly affects our well-being and performance. If you are hiring for culture fit and your air quality is toxic, your air quality is tainted, think about the fact that every hire you make is just compounding Mm -hmm. that toxic culture. So I think there's just this level of not really understanding the impact that hiring for culture cultivation over fit or carrier or ad can have. Okay, Brittany, I don't usually do this. This is not my thing, but I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to give you finger snaps on this. I'm going to give you finger snaps on this because I, sis, you're preaching. (laughs) Like seriously, (laughs) seriously. So on one of our recent episodes, I had a colleague of mine from the communication side of the house named Teresa Valerio Parrott. And what we talked about was how communication from the president of an institution really affects employee engagement or how it can affect employee engagement and ultimately the employer brand. When it comes down to the work that you're doing, where do you see culture cultivation actually starting? I think logically, a lot of people will say, well, that kind of starts at the top. But for you, where, where does it start? I think if it doesn't start at the top in tandem with feedback from the bottom, then your culture cultivation cannot happen. Think about planting a tree or planting a flower. You got to get to the roots. Any organization 
the root of an organization is its people and not just the people at the top, not just the C-suite, not just the board members, right? You have to get to the roots in order to see it sprout and grow. And so for me, I, I always say there are too many executives having conversations in the boardroom without feedback from those at the break room. If you are not looking at your roots to see if they're planted deep enough, if they have the right type of soil, what are their response? Then yeah, you can have the conversation all day at the top. But if you're not actually go going to your employees, going to your staff members, going to your faculty, going to your students and saying, hey, what is it like to be a part of this culture? Your growth will be stagnated. You may produce a beautiful flower. You may, on, on prima facie, on the surface, it may look like you're doing things right, but the capacity and growth that you could potentially have, you'll never reach. And so I do think it's a, a double-edged sword, which is why I kind of hesitate because yes, it has to start at the top. But if you just start at the top and you don't think it's about the bottom or you don't go to the bottom, then it's just going to stay at the top and it'll remain ideology. It will remain one of the things that boils my blood is the cognitive dissonance you see in organizations who like put all of these values and DEI statements, but it's diametrically opposed to the reality of what it means to be a part of that organization, right? So if there is not some level of a bridge building from the C-suite to individual contributors to every level of the organization, then everything else you're doing to me as it relates to workplace culture is for naught. Well, it happened again. Prospect Paul is excited about attending your institution, but is getting consistently confused by all of the information and tasks he needs to complete to enroll, creating friction, and even worse, melt. You knew this would happen again, didn't you? Which is why you've been flagging the need for a Come to Jesus meeting with leadership from marketing, admissions, and IT to audit the digital experience for prospective students. Here's a problem. You're not going to convince Mark from marketing to let go of this precious marketing automation software. Adriana from admissions just got set up with her new CRM and Isabel from IT is still working through ticket requests from last Christmas. But what if you could come to the table with a solution that didn't require anyone to let go of their software while at the same time ensuring a frictionless experience for prospects and current students alike? Guess what, my friend? Today's your lucky day. Meet Pathify, an innovative higher ed engagement hub that puts students at the center of their college journey. Pathify sits at the center of your school's digital ecosystem, becoming the single user experience interface tying all systems, content, and communications together. Their engagement hub elevates the information that matters most and pushes systems like the SIS behind the scenes where they belong making it simpler for students to discover and engage with the opportunities your institution provides at every step of their higher ed journey from prospect to alumni. What's even better, Pathify has a mobile experience that provides 100% parity with a responsive web app so your campus app is always in sync. Pathify is a platform that every stakeholder on campus from marketing to admissions to student affairs to IT, et cetera, can equally get excited about. So learn more about Pathify and how it's uniting strategic units across campus and bettering the entire student experience by visiting pathify.com. And be sure to tell them that Eddie from I Want to Work There sent you their way. You know, and I really think one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast also is I really want higher ed to be ready 
for the future worker. Gen Z is coming. And Gen Z is a very, to me, they they come across as a very values-driven generation. Authenticity is very important. They have no problems challenging authority. No problems whatsoever. I have a good friend who is a tail-end baby boomer. He's running his business. He got these interns from colleges and universities. And he said, okay, well, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. And he said one of the students, a Gen Zer, raised his hand and asked, well, who's your boss? And he looked at him. He said, well, that's not how this works. And I said, listen, man, I hate to tell you this, but to them, it is how it works. Now, that's not how it works for your generation. It's not how it works with Gen X. But for Gen Z, that's exactly how it works because um, there is, and this is something I read in the Edelman Trust Barometer from a couple of years ago, we are right now at a point where millennials and Gen Z do not trust authority because authority has dropped the ball so badly. (laughs) You know, so what you said about getting that input from the folks who may not necessarily have the power to make decisions or set policy. And I love what you said from the break room to the boardroom. Goodness. I mean, just, uh, you know, you need to put that on a t-shirt or something, but I really want snap that, that is really, to me, that is a very, that's a very future focused way of thinking. And I just really hope higher ed is ready for it because it's, it's coming. And so with that being said, I got to ask you this next next question. By the way, we're talking to Brittany King. She's the CEO of Curated Corporate, very, very skilled and very experienced recruiter. Also very knowledgeable about DEI or DEIB strategies or EDI, whichever, whichever set, whatever, whichever mix of the letters you want to use, but very, very much involved in that and very skilled and knowledgeable about that segment of recruitment and talent retention. So how can culture be infused in an organization's strategic plan? And to me, it starts with employer branding and your employer value proposition. I think so many companies lean on their sexy brand pedigree. Or you think about this for a university, they're like, we are an elite organization. The students come to us. But as you mentioned, generation, the next generation is going, you're going to have to put some, they're, they're like, I'm from the show me state, right? <laughs> like, show me why yeah, I should yeah, be yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of organizations take this approach of like, oh, we don't have a brand or the brand doesn't matter. And I I often say to my clients, you have a brand, whether or not you realize it, you either own the narrative or someone creates the narrative for you because a brand is simply how people remember you. It's how students feel when they're walking the hallway. It's how faculty feels when they are a part of your university. It is how, you know, other employees feel there. So I think that organizations who want to be strategic first have to be really clear on what is their employer brand. And what is their employer value proposition? The other part for me is there has to be this level of listening. So many people jump to going to like, let's do a strategy, like let's write the vision. And I'm like, senior leaders are so far removed from the day-to-day of what it means to be an employee. This is why I love the show Undercover Boss, like Undercover Boss, bring it back, like bring it back, let's work together, like hire me. Yeah, (laughs) me too. I love Undercover Boss. That's an excellent show that illuminates it. Listen, if I let's just imagine I was a chief diversity officer for an organization, I would be very far removed of the nuances of what it means to be a black woman in the workplace because nobody's going to treat the DEI, the chief DEI lady wrong, right? So I think there needs to be a listening tour that happens at the executive level 
where their only goal is to listen. Too many C-suite leaders are afraid to have the conversations that may expose that they're not doing something right. I'm a millennial, so I say I'm a part of Gen Y, W-H-Y. I can deal with, right? Like I can deal with a leader saying to me, hey, we've gotten it wrong and I don't even really know what to do next, as opposed to not either not acknowledging it or saying like, here are value statements, here's what we're doing. No, no, no. Acknowledge the lack of understanding. Acknowledge historically what has not gone right, right? I think there are too many corporate communications teams that are leading the messaging that C-suite leaders are sharing or that university leaders are, are sharing. They're going to the communications team saying, write this for social media, put my picture next to it, right? And then let's get it out there. Listen, Gen Z is more connected. They have more access to knowledge than any generation prior to them. So they can spot things that are not authentic. They can spot things that are canned responses. I did a whole nother post on that. And so I think it really has to be, to your point, a matter of authenticity, listening. And then the final piece that I would say is courage. In order to cultivate an environment as a university, as an educational institution that is going to be at the forefront of not only knowledge, the forefront of advancement, and the forefront of attracting, hiring, and retaining top talent, you're going to have the courage to go out there and break some stuff, to fall. It is like, oh my gosh, what is a dude who invented the light bulb? I cannot think about it now. But he said, I didn't, Edison. I'm like, why do I want to call him? I was about to call him Eddie. But it is like, I was. That's cool. I'll take credit for the light bulb. I need, I need some checks. I need some checks. Like Thomas Edison saying, I didn't find, I didn't fail. I found ten, thousands of ways it didn't work. Right. So who are the organizations that are going to say, I'm willing to do a think tank to see what makes sense. What is our strategy? What is our current state? What is future state? How do we reverse engineer our success? I think it has to be a blend of those three things for sure. Yeah. How do you see the way forward though? For when it comes to an organization, you know, any organization and, you know, especially for people who are middle management type positions, because the, the, the pain about middle management, which I have been in for a while, is that with middle management, you are charged with both strategy, but you have to do the tactics at the same time. So to your point about communications, let me just tell you, someone who was a Marcom director, it, the biggest pain that I had was that I had executive level pulling at me going exactly what you said. I need you to put our message out. And then I'm sitting there going, yeah, but what about with the folks <laughs> to use your term again? What about what the folks in the break room want? What about what they want to hear? Oh, okay. Well, that's fine. But here's what we want. Da, 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 da. And there's this one way thing that I'm trying to handle at the same time. I'm listening to the people in the break room going, yeah, but I'm telling you, if you do this, they're not going to like it one bit. And so for people who are in that middle management type position and they want to they want to get they really want the culture cultivators because they know they know about the culture cultivators. They know the culture. They know what they're going to do. They know the value. And at the same time, they have to really think about what it is at the executive level. People, they have to think about the C-suite wants. They have to break a few eggs. They have to take some risks and sometimes at great at, at a great risk of their own. How do you see them bringing in these culture cultivators who can be very effective brand ambassadors 
at the same time? I mean, what is the way forward for those types of people look like? Yeah, man, middle management is such an interesting place to be. And you want to talk about building a plane while flying it in the air like that is top middle management. <laughs> yeah. And I actually often will say to C-suite leaders that I connect with, like land the plane. None of us are getting on a plane today that's being built while it's flying, right? So let's land the plane, let's fix and repair it. But I think tactically, the way forward really involves making a business case to executive leaders how you can meet their organizational needs. So I'm about to speak on something that happened at one of my previous something that happened at one of my previous employers, but I will say all the views shared today are not my own and do not represent the views of any of my previous or future employers. That's a good job. <laughs> so when I when I was at an organization not too long ago, I had a senior leader who I could tell had all of these goals that they wanted to achieve and kind of lacked an understanding of talent acquisition and the impact on DEI. And while we really needed to kind of overhaul our, our philosophy and our strategy related to inclusive hiring, instead of going to that leader saying, Hey, I like I know what I'm doing. This is what I want to do. I spent my first conversation with them really understanding what their goals are. What are the problems that you are trying to solve? So when they would say, you know, we're having a problem with this and, da, 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 and this is what we want to do to go forward. I would always ask, OK, but what are we solving for with these initiatives, with these plans? What are we solving for? From there, I would go look at the organizational goals. Right. What are some of our org wide goals, whether that's innovation, whether that's growth, whether that's an increase in student you know, graduation rates or whatever, to look at those to understand that. And for me, creating a business case was always speaking the dollars. Always. So if we get inclusive hiring right, we can avoid, for example, we had a critical role in the tech space. It cost us $40,000 to, it was a cost of a hire, right? If we take that $40,000 and instead invest it into learning programs and strategy or process improvements, we could then reduce that by half. Those numbers talk to senior executives, whether it is dollars, whether it is student population retention, whether it's the number of student you know, enrollment growing year over year, quarter over quarter, half over half, I think those are some of the things that have to happen. Middle management is tasked with being the liaison between upper level and lower level employees. And so we have to marry that feedback. There has to be a feedback loop happening continuously. But at the executive level, that happens by making a business case that's built on dollars, that it's built on impact and it's built on meeting their needs. It just is what it is, in my opinion. From that, I was able to get a weekly call with the C-suite leader as a middle man- management person, right? I'm not supposed to be talking to the C-suite, number one, but I definitely wasn't supposed to be having a regular call on the calendar with the C-suite leader. But they were very easy to see that I, number one, knew what, what I was doing, but I was invested in their mission. I was invested in helping them look better. And I did it all with data. That's the other thing. Using data to drive decision-making, you talked about emotional intelligence. You have to have a high level of EQ and and IQ, right? To be able to go into spaces and places and unpack the needs of someone, even without them explicitly saying it, right? And so I'm always in the vein of like, how do I make this business case to my benefit, but make them think it's theirs? And so that's what I would say for sure. That's the way. You got to go on a listening tool. You have to be willing, as a middle manager, you have to be willing to step aside and to put and, and to help someone believe that you are pushing their goals, even if it's your own goals. You got to package it up and make it look like I'm helping you achieve yours. Yeah, I posted this on LinkedIn the other day, and this actually came from my wife, who was 
she was actually in a meeting with a group of women leaders and it was a group of deans. And so one of the deans said that she found that one of the best ways to have impact as a leader is not to hit the ground running, but to hit the ground listening. And I just I just thought that was one of the greatest leadership quotes I have ever heard. Ever. And I will tell you, I would always book in a listening tour with a learning tour. So first I would go and I would listen. And then as I did, and again, you all appreciate this in academia, but I would go after I had listened for three months, six months, nine months. In the last quarter of the year, I would learn. So I would go to different functions of the business. Who are the executive leaders, cross-functional partners or key stakeholders that I need buy-in from? Listening and learning, hitting the ground, listening and learning or hitting the ground, listening in preparation for learning. It'll change the, it can change the whole structure of an economy. I mean, of an economy, Lord, of an environment. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually an economy too at some point, yeah. And I think the thing that's really important about this, and I think this is very important, particularly in higher ed, because of the structure of having your business operations staff and your faculty who are really responsible for the academic side of the house and the learning side of the house. I think it's important, you know, and these two sec- these two segments of the higher ed population have pretty different attitudes about what it means to meet the mission of the institution. But one thing that every single one of them wants is to not only be heard, but they want you to show proof that you were actually listening to them. Because I've seen a lot of presidents say, oh, I went on a listening tour and I've heard faculty and staff say, well, yeah, I mean, they sat there and nodded for about a half hour and we told them everything that we that were our pain points. I haven't seen any action on anything that we said, though. And that's what Gen Z is seeing. Like, why? They want to understand why. Why does it affect me? How does it benefit me? If I'm just going to amass knowledge and do nothing with it, then Gen Z, middle managers, individual contributors, they can very easily pick up on things that are just performative. So for me, it sounds like there may be a sentiment that like a listening tour is just performative. Absolutely. If you're just going around and you're just listening, but nothing that I'm saying to you is considered, there's no strategy, there are no tactics in place, then okay, it's cute. You were listening. Appreciate it. But that's all. It wasn't active. And there was no application of the knowledge that you amassed. So what was the point? But I think the other thing about this is that if if you want to really destroy employee satisfaction, I I really, you know, I think one thing you can also do, and I mean, you're a DI person, so you know this, is you can not be aware of the generational attitudes. Because One thing I have noticed that Gen Z and the millennial generation, your generation will do is you won't even talk if you're sitting there going, oh, I know you're not going to listen. This is performative. So why am I wasting my breath? I won't even waste my breath. And that is my issue with employee engagement surveys. Or if you look at, we're going to send out the survey once or twice a year to see, listen, if people haven't been talking to you way before that, the dang on sure ain't going to talk now. Right. And so I think and it's not, I, I even think older or generations before us, older generations, my mom, my daughter tells me that I'm old because I'm a millennial, but I think there's this level of, there's this level of like, just be real that people want. Again, I said this at the top of the podcast, we could handle you not knowing, we can handle you saying we got it wrong. We cannot handle the performance. Performance politics at work do not work. Performance politics at work do not work. Right. So if you if, you, if I'm just going to be pragmatic, I'm just going to act like everything is OK. It's not going to work. 
it doesn't work, it will dismantle your organization. It will kill everything that you were trying to make grow. And the organizations who do who do workplace culture, who do inclusive excellence, who consider um, their student population, their employee population, they will be the ones who have the temerity to say we got it wrong or we need to do better. It'll be those. All right. Again, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Snaps. You get snaps, Brittany. I don't do snaps. Do you have any under, yeah. do you have any idea how this is this means you're a special person. I don't do snaps. <laughs> Brittany, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, find out more about curated corporate and the work that you do, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so definitely follow me on uh LinkedIn. So I am the CEO of Curated Corporate. I also call myself the neighborhood hope dealer. That means I do hope with my words. So just type in uh, LinkedIn, Hope Dealer BK, or you can find me, Brittany King. You can also check us out online at curatedcorporate.com. If you're interested in working with me, maybe you're an individual that's like, I'm in a toxic workplace. I need to elevate my success. I need to be cultivated somewhere else. Definitely check out ways you can work with me on my website underneath the shop, or you can go to hopeheadquarters.as.me and it'll have lots of information on how you can work together. Thank you, Eddie. No problem. And Brittany's uh, information is in the show notes, so you'll be able to go to the link and visit her and find out more about her. Brittany, thank you so much for joining me on I Want to Work There. I Want to Work There is part of the Enrollify Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, check out other Enrollify shows. The Enrollify Podcast Network is growing by the month with all kinds of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows. And they're jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks, all designed to empower you to be a better higher ed professional. There are some great industry voices that you can check out, like Terry Flannery, my good friend Jamie Hunt, Allison Tercio, Corinne Myers, Dustin Ramsdale, Jamie Gleason, and many more. Learn more about the Enrollify Podcast Network at podcasts.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. So uh, come and find yours.